0: Welcome to This Week in California Education. I'm John Fensterwald.
1: And I'm Zadie Staley.
0: Louis Friedberg is away and will be back next week. But Zadie, thanks for co-hosting again today. Thanks, John. Today we'll discuss two tax initiatives that are designed to raise money for schools that are both heading to the November 2020 ballot. They could create potentially a confusing choice of taxes that could, in fact, doom both.
1: So the question is, what, if anything, should Governor Newsom do to prevent that collision?
0: We'll also be discussing leadership changes coming to California universities. UC President Janet Napolitano just announced her retirement, and this week the surprise announcement was from California State University Chancellor Timothy White. He'll be stepping down in 2020.
1: We'll be talking about White's legacy and what the next chancellor can anticipate with Christopher Nellum. He's Senior Director of Higher Education Research and Policy at the Education Trust West.
0: But first... This week, with great fanfare, senior citizens, community groups, and labor unions announced they're starting to collect one million signatures they need to qualify a ballot challenge to Prop 13. That's the limit on property taxes that voters passed 40 years ago. The Schools and Communities First Coalition qualified its initiative earlier this year, but they've revised it so it's hit the bricks again, collecting names Their split-roll tax would keep protections on homeowners while raising about $11 billion on business properties. About a third of that money would go to schools and community colleges.
1: Meanwhile, another coalition led by the California School Boards Association filed for papers to start collecting signatures for its full and fair funding initiative. This initiative would raise about $15 billion per year for K-12 and community colleges by raising income taxes on businesses and individuals earning more than $1 million a year. You know, Zadie, I don't know
0: anyone who thinks that putting two tax initiatives on the same ballot is a good idea. It's possible one or maybe even both could pass, but even the school board association's internal polling says a choice of two taxes really might confuse voters and they'd be likely to vote no on both.
1: To sort this out, we're pleased to have in the studio Samantha Tran. Samantha is Senior Managing Director of Education Policy at Children Now. That's a research and advocacy organization.
0: Children Now published a study this week that compares high schools in three states. The findings could provide data for those arguing schools in California need more money. Samantha, why did you do this research, and which schools did you look at, and what did you find?
2: Through this report, what we tried to do was show a typical high school in California, Gunderson High School in San Jose has the average kind of demographics as the state and looked at that school compared to what it would look like in Illinois and New Jersey and the facts are stunning so I'll just give you a few one is that when you look at the number of teachers who are available on campus to work with kids whether it's in the classroom or to provide coaching and mentoring at Gunderson it's 30 to 1 in Illinois it's 20 to 1 And in New Jersey, where they really prioritize investing in kids, it's 11 to 1. Now, that has a dramatic impact on whether or not adults have the opportunity to develop relationships with kids, to develop and tailor instruction. And, you know, we see it across the board in terms of other enriching opportunities and engaging opportunities for children.
0: And so I'm assuming it relates to how much the state spends on students?
2: Indeed. California is woefully behind the rest of the nation, especially when you factor in how the cost of living is in, in the state. Our money goes less far, right? And so that, that translates into what we can do. We actually have the lowest ratios of teachers to students, counselors, administrators, school nurses. We, we did a, a look at school nurses across the state, and I think there are only 10 districts out of the 1,000 districts that actually has a school nurse at each school site, right? So it's a dramatic problem that we're trying trying to really shine a light on in a
1: real way. What does that mean for students if they don't have as many adults in the classroom?
2: So when you think about how many kids come to school, you know, hungry, dealing with issues in the broader community around community violence, you have foster youth, children who are learning English or experiencing trauma. You know, those are the, the students in particular that need a lot of specialized support. And it's the vast majority of our kids, right? So when there's not enough adults on campus, providing those caring relationships engaged in the specialized training and support, it has a profound, dramatic, negative impact on our children.
1: We're talking with Samantha Tran. She's the Senior Managing Director of Education Policy at Children Now, a research and advocacy organization.
0: So let's turn to the two tax initiatives What's your view of that is choice a good thing and uh, what's children now's view
2: I'm so pleased we're having the conversation right that that folks are talking about the need to invest in education we at children now would also say that early learning is critical and needs to be a, a part of this conversation and invested in there is history to suggest that you know when there's multiple measures the public can get confused and so you know that creates a real challenge i think the ideal scenario is some real political leadership at the state level with the governor and the legislature, you know, stepping in and trying to find a a uniform proposal that we can put before the voters in 2020.
0: Neither proposal earmarks any money for early education. So that's sort of fundamental to children now support for this?
2: Indeed. When you look at the data, California has among the largest school readiness gaps in the country. Right? Our kids are not getting the support that they need when they walk through the door, and you know schools are doing their best to try and provide support. But if we could remediate some of that and provide true quality early learning, we could have a profound impact on future generations of kids throughout the state.
0: If you were Governor Newsom, would you jump in now or would you say, oh, I'm going to wait and see who qualifies and, uh, and then decide whether or not we should get behind this or...
2: I would never want to opine on what the governor, uh, you know, the, their timing should be. Uh, you know, we really do believe that there is huge power and opportunity in them Engaging in this conversation, leading the conversation, working with the legislature, even if there's initiatives that qualify for the ballot, the legislature and governor now have the authority to negotiate with the initiative sponsors and pull it from the ballot and put something new on the ballot. So, you know, there is that opportunity. There's several months where they have that opportunity to intervene.
0: Everyone agrees that uh, November 2020 is a good opportunity, that this election is a particularly good time to seek additional revenue. Is that, is that your sense?
2: Historically, that's been the case. You know, presidential elections is where we get the highest voter turnout. When we talk with voters about what they care about and what they want to invest in, public schools is always the top of the list, right? So the the more we have turnout and engage voters, I think there is that sense that we'll have a higher opportunity of being successful and, and investing where we know we need to invest.
0: Well, thanks for joining us today, Samantha. We'll be counting on you in the next couple of months to let us know what's really happening behind the scenes because we think that there are going to be a lot of discussions perhaps between now and when the legislature comes back. Always
1: a pleasure. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. That was Samantha Tran, Senior Managing Director of Education Policy at Children Now, a research and advocacy organization.
0: Let's now turn to the retirement announcement by California State University Chancellor Tim White. White led CSU during some pretty prosperous years in which its state funding grew 50% while tuition was frozen for six straight years.
1: White used that money to add counselors and thousands of courses in an effort to try to meet ambitious graduation goals he set. And he created controversy when he ended remedial courses for freshmen, replacing them with credit-bearing courses with tutoring and extra help. So what to make of his time at the helm? We have on the line today Chris Nellum. He's the Senior Director of Higher Education Research and Policy at the Education Trust West, a civil rights and education equity research and advocacy organization based in Oakland. Chris, what would you point to as White's major initiatives that he'll be remembered for? And to what extent have they been successful?
3: You know, Chancellor White, I think, should be credited with being a bold, thoughtful leader, bringing the system out of a really difficult time, the recession, and I think leaving the system I hope, in a really solid place for the future. I think some of his legacy work in his tenure will be, of course, the graduation initiative 2025. I think a lot about the importance of setting goals. And while that may seem like a simple task, it's actually pretty brave and important because it really required the system to admit that they weren't where they want to be or where they should be. So I think that is certainly one of his and his team's signature accomplishments. A second is the elimination of traditional remediation, which, as we all know, was met with some resistance. Perhaps, uh, I think a lot of folks have reflected on, there were some disagreements about shared governance and faculty feeling like perhaps he had infringed on their ability to make decisions, but the evidence there was mounting and pretty clear. Traditional remediation wasn't working, especially for students of color, and so, Um, I think he'll be remembered for making a bold move that was evidence-based. Just two other things come to mind for me. The leadership of the CSU has changed in Chancellor White's time. Uh, The number of women presidents we have has doubled. I believe there are 12 women presidents now of the 23 campuses. It's really important to have diverse representation that reflects our students today. And then finally, I think Chancellor White's commitment to food and housing security issues and really helping the system focus initiatives centered on food and housing insecurity. Um, I believe all of the CSUs now have food pantries, which certainly are not going to solve our food insecurity challenges that we face in the state. But I think our important signals that he has been committed to this issue and really was attentive to listening to students and listening to their experiences and trying to be um, responsive in ways that he could. Let's go back to graduation
0: rates. It's one thing just to sort of set a goal. It's another thing to try to get there. How, how is
3: CSU doing at this point? And what does the CSU do to help that along? Graduation rates are, they say, at an all-time high, about 27%. And certainly they should celebrate those accomplishments, but there's still work to do. Racial equity gaps persist, and I think as we look to the future, the system should certainly continue to make its case in Sacramento, should look to improve and scale things that they know are working on campuses, so the addition of counselors thinking about different ways and different models to support students for their financial aid counseling. That's 27% that four-year rate, right? The six-year rate is, is somewhat better. Yes, so that is right. So that rate is a four-year rate. And of course, there are some improvements when we get out to six years.
1: Chris, what are some of the other challenges ahead that the next chancellor will have to figure out how to address?
3: So I think there are three big sets of challenges. Um, The first is balancing the CSU's mission to facilitate access, but also balance that with the need to drive success for the state. Uh, The second is alignment, so both alignment between K-12 and higher ed and between higher education segments and systems. And the third is affordability. And so on balancing access and success, the College Futures Foundation actually today released a report outlining what they're calling the higher education capacity crisis. And the CSU system, of course, not alone, but with state leaders and others, the business community, um, need to address the fact that we have more and more students who are doing everything we've asked them to do, completing the, the college prep sequence, the A through G sequence, We have more community college students who are eligible to transfer, and the CSU continues to turn away about one in 10 students every year. So the next chancellor will certainly have to address those issues.
0: We're speaking today with Chris Nellum, Senior Director of Higher Education Research and Policy at the Education Trust West. Should the CSU be doing more to help with our teacher shortage?
3: Absolutely, you know, the CSU produces more than half of uh, teachers in California. Actually, the CSU produces almost one in 10 teachers in the United States. And so the next chancellor is gonna have a a tremendous opportunity and responsibility to think about teacher preparation in the state, and in particular, recruitment of teachers of color. California's K through 12 system is extremely diverse, and we know that our teachers in California are not. We also know that evidence is mounting about the benefits of having teachers of color for all students. And so I think, yes, the CSU system is going to have to think about new ways to attract teachers of color, to think about what if there are barriers that we need to remove to facilitate access.
1: Do you have ideas about what CSU should be looking for in a next chancellor or ideas about who, who could be the next chancellor?
3: Oh, no ideas about specific people. But I do think that the trustees should look for a leader who, of course, loves California higher education understands California higher education and K through 12 education. Um, Someone, of course, who's gonna celebrate the wins and see the good in the system, but also someone who can be critical of the system, who can acknowledge that there's still work to do, uh, particularly with regard to access and success and racial equity in, in our state. So what that means is a leader who can call out racialized patterns of inequity, who can admit that certain policies and practices disadvantage certain groups of students, particular students of color, and who's going to work in collaboration to address those in an honest way. Um, I think someone who's evidence-driven will be important, someone who can look at evidence themselves. Um, And then the one last thing that comes to mind for me is I was looking back at the chancellors past, the previous chancellors, who are quite an impressive group, but six of seven of them have been male. I think all of them have been white or at least white presenting. And so I really think the trustees should look to have a pool of finalists that hopefully looks like our state, that looks like the students the CSU serves, and if we can't, I think that will be a failure of the search. I think they're actually off to a really good start. They've announced that they're doing a listening tour, the trustees, and I hope that they will listen to students and faculty, community members, and be really thoughtful about this, this really exciting opportunity.
0: Chris, thanks for joining us today, and we uh, hope to be in touch with you as we follow the search in the next half year or so. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. That was Chris Nellum. He's the Senior Director of Higher Education Research and Policy at the Education Trust West. Well, Chancellor White put in some pretty substantive changes that I think we are going to stick. What do you think, Zadie?
1: I think that's probably true. It looks like the challenge now is to try to figure out how to accommodate more students.
0: Yeah, something like 140,000 more students are expected in the next decade. And the question is, how do you fit them in?
1: You know, John, there's so much criticism of K-12, but if they're preparing that many more students, that's something good about what our K-12 schools are doing.
0: That's a really good point, Ziti. Well, that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from the Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and EdSource's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm John Fensterwald. And I'm Zadie Stavely. Thanks for joining us, Zadie.
1: Thanks for inviting me, John.
0: And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.